Academy Sports and Outdoors wants everyone to stay safe while doing more of what they love. So whether you're planning a fishing trip, heading to the driving range, prepping for your upcoming hunt, or firing up the grill before the big game, we have all the gear you need to enjoy more sports and outdoors. All at the prices that you're going to love. And with the curbside pickup available, it's never been easier to shop all our brands in-store and online at academy.com. Because whatever you love doing, Academy Sports and Outdoors is there to help you have more fun out there. Thank you so much for checking out Bulldogs by the Numbers. My name is Tug Cowart from 680 The Fan and Brent Rollins from Pro Football Focus and UGASports.com. Coming off the Kentucky game, it was one of those games where you got the win and you're happy about that, but you didn't feel good. You only had seven offensive series in the entire game. And to put that in perspective, Alabama, you had 12 offensive series. whole lot of running. And not exactly what Georgia fans wanted to see. I mean, we've been told about this new offense, this air raid offense, Todd Munkin. No, and then especially when you think about what you just came off of. You came off of a game where Alabama put up 41 points, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, hey, if we can't be in the 35-plus range, we're not beating Bama, we're not beating Clemson, we're not beating Ohio State, you're not, you're not contending at that level. And then the game you play right after that, you sort of take back you know, a couple decades and yeah. it's just run the ball down their throat and you score 14. So it's very much a anti-Georgia fan base sort of game from a confidence standpoint. Yeah, there's that. You only had two explosive plays through the air. One was a pass out of the backfield to James Cook. The other to the big tight end, freshman Darnell Washington. And if you remember, man, like I said with Todd Bunkin, we sold this idea that was going to be Big 12-style air raid, throwing it down the field. But I talked to Buck Ballou and Hudson Mason, for that matter, from 680 The Fan, specifically about the air raid and how it's not exactly that anyway. It's more short, high-percentage passes. But with Kentucky, we didn't even get the high-percentage passes. No, you didn't. And I think a lot of it is it's personnel-driven right now, and it's sort of they're working with what they have. Uh, you know, Obviously, your starting quarterback, or what you presume starting quarterback was going to be opted out of the season at, a couple weeks before it started. So it's just a constant evolution for this offense in terms of learning but it was interesting to see that after a bye week and you had two weeks to sort of prepare that you went back and this hey we're going to get back to basics establish our supremacy on the ground and they did that and they did that to to a great extent and this was one of those things where if you just sort of not think about previously playing Bama and just think about the game against Kentucky that's now two years in a row independent of last year it was at night last year there was a you know rain monsoon rain game but outside of those two factors it was essentially the same game a whole lot of running Kentucky was limited at quarterback it was a first time starter they obviously didn't trust him to put the ball in the air a lot and they were going to sort of be who they were running the football and Georgia did a lot of running the football themselves and the interesting part about that is last year that same sort of vibe these same sort of feelings I think that Georgia fans are having were right after the Kentucky game. Well, two weeks later, last year, you went and played Florida in Jacksonville. Now it's just a week later, but your next game is Florida in Jacksonville. The fan in me wants to take away something good, something positive. Kirby didn't want to show his hand. He wanted to have a completely different game plan for Kentucky than he does for Florida. Possible. I think that's in, in the likelihood of that. I mean, especially if you see a completely different offense and a completely different team on Saturday. I have to think there will be a completely different game plan. I think you will. I think it'll be it'll be a completely different game plan. It'll be unique to Florida. Florida's defense is in no way, shape, or form as, as good as Kentucky's, and they're a lot more aggressive than Kentucky. Kentucky plays sort of soft back. You know, tr- 
uh, in a way. And, and I think you're just going to see a completely different game. In the first half, Kentucky played back. They kept everything in front of them. Georgia was gashing them for 9, 10, 12-yard gains. Second half, Kentucky tried to close it up and not give Georgia the opportunity to run as much. It did not stop the effectiveness of Georgia's run game, however. That's the nature of how they play defense. They're, they're very much a bend, don't break. Eventually, you're going to throw it to us or you're going to make a self-inflicted mistake and then punt the football. And the, their defense has actually played quite well other than one game this year against Ole Miss. So you won the game, some positives moving forward. When you think about your season in a big picture, you're in the exact spot you want to be. The Alabama game was always going to be a toss-up game. Hey, if we win, great. If not, you know, we might see them again. But you're one loss. You're going to Jacksonville with the chance to really sort of seal the SEC East to sort of move forward into that last part of your schedule and driving towards the SEC championship game. Watching the game on Saturday and then going back this morning before we recorded and watching it again, I couldn't help but notice that the broadcast team, Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, Cole Kubliak, all talked about how great Georgia looked and how this was such a dominating win and this is who Georgia is and this is who they need to continue to be. But me as a fan, I couldn't help but think this is not at all what I thought we wanted to be. If you're going to compete with the elite in college football, 14 points is not going to do it. What is it that I'm missing that they seem to see or like or that they're satisfied with? I don't really know because, I mean, it's one of those things where you know your identity has always been that. Your identity has always been, we're going to be more physical than you. We're going to run the football and we're going to you know hit occasional big plays in the passing game. They obviously got back to that in a big way against Kentucky, but you've also seen the other side. You've seen the other side where, hey, to beat Bama, you got to get into the upper 30s. To beat, you know, like LSU last year, you had to be in the upper 30s. To beat an Ohio State or Clemson, you got to be in those upper 30s. And I think, obviously, with Alabama without Waddle now, that's a completely different animal and something worth seeing as that evolves. And they're still going to be good, and they're still going to put up points. But that makes that game a different dynamic. But, hey, it doesn't matter unless you beat Florida this week. This is your season. So then, if that's going to be the offensive identity, do we have the right quarterback in place in Stetson Bennett? And I don't think that's the offense that most Georgia fans want, but I believe that most Georgia fans think Coach Kirby Smart wants that offense. Uh, and that's, that's, that's an interesting point is, is how much of your offense is, is sort of head coach driven versus offensive coordinator driven. Uh, but still yet, yeah, I, I do agree if the key, the key word there being if. If your offense is this, which is running back centric, running game centric, zone read with QB keeps thrown in there, short passing game screens, you saw two or three screens, flares to the backs, and then an occasional deep shot, the, the play action to, to both Washington and Cook, those occasional deep shots. If that's your offense, personally, I'd rather have the bigger threat at quarterback, bigger threat running the ball at quarterback. While we've seen that Stetson can keep the ball, and he should, go get seven, go get 10, go get an easy first down every now and there, go get a touchdown on the goal line or you know a third and three, go get that with your leg. Personally, I just I would rather have the guy that can go get 60 off of that, and that's Mathis. If that is your offense, I tend to think, yes, you do have the wrong quarterback. But we don't see that those battles day-to-day in practice. We don't see or sort of hear, in, based on all the talk that we hear, Stetson's the guy and he's going to be the guy. Whether fans like it or not, whether that's what we've been expecting or not, if this is the offense Georgia continues to run, everything is predicated off of James Cook and Zamir White. They're the two backs and they're the two guys that are going to carry you. And you also see Kendall Milton sprinkled in. Kenny McIntosh hasn't been healthy. but And the biggest thing is, look, when you look at Zamir White, he actually had his most productive game on the ground. That I think it's the first time he's ever been over 100 yards. And it was a lot of him being very patient to a hole and then 
accelerating through that hole. And that's something we even teach youth football kids to be patient to the hole and then accelerate through. And he was getting a lot of yards after contact. I think 81 of his 136 yards were after contact. And the biggest thing to me, though, was Cook. As a receiver, he's always been a threat. For his career now, he's caught 34 of 37 targets for 392 yards in the touchdown against Bama this season. He's caught 10 of 12 for 171 yards. So him as a receiver is always going to be a threat. But the biggest thing for with this game was he forced missed tackles in the running game. And that's something he just hasn't done in his career. You think about him, him as a make people miss guy, but he really hasn't been that. He's been more of a speed guy. And he forced six missed tackles in the run game against Kentucky. It's the most in any game that he's ever had. If that is your offense and you're, you're, you're sort of driving your offense through those two players, getting 6.6 yards per touch from those two players is going to make you very, very efficient. The key is being able to score off of that. And if you do and you look at the game differently, if you score and you eliminate the turnovers, you know, it's a completely different game from a point standpoint and for maybe for a how Georgia fans feel standpoint. And to piggyback on that, if you were to stick with that style of offense, which Stetson has five interceptions in the last two games, which might be a reason to consider doing that. But if you put Dewan Mathis in, I can't see that much of a difference in what George is trying to do. To your point, he may be the better quarterback because he can break off a run for 60 yards versus Stetson only getting a first down. But I want to go back and look at that pass play to James Cook. It was one of two explosive plays during the entire game. That's it, too. Two big ones, yep. Yeah. Both off play action, by the way, both on first down. You know, Stetson for the game on first down was, I think, four of six for 100 yards and the interception that came shortly after that. Three plays after that. I even ask you, why don't you stick with the run there if that's been the game plan for the entire game and it looked like it was effective? Third series of the game, you pass to Cook out of the backfield, 45, then you hand it off to White for 10, then White again for nine. Next play, you go back to the pass. It's tipped, intercepted in Kentucky territory. I think you're on the uh, 19 or 20-yard line. If nothing else you're getting a field goal there yeah and it's very it's very easy for all of us to, to sort of play that armchair quarterback role and, and and second guess those things but the key for me with that you've established in the first drive and early on in this game that we are going to be physically dominating in the run game you'd gotten your explosive pass play to get down there and then back-to-back chunk, sort of chunk plays uh nine and ten back-to-back runs it's one of those things where you, you'd almost psychologically want to finish that drive off on the ground but they didn't and the biggest key there was that you know you look at the play itself, the interception. Uh, they wanted to hit White on the wheel route, trying to force pull Kentucky up on the on a hitch, hit White in the wheel route in the back of the end zone. Once that initial throw wasn't there, then Stetson sees the guy open in the flat, just not really aware of the surroundings that is going on in front of him, as opposed to sort of hitching up, stepping up, and there was a very clean pocket if you rewatch the play. Very clean pocket. Kier Jackson was crossing on the middle there. So both of his interceptions, when you look at that one, and then the, the later one to Rosemary Jackson, it's where the initial, hey, I'm ready to go, the ball's ready to come out. It's not there. Now I need to reset. And in each instance, the decision-making there was just a little off. So why is he making these poor decisions? Because I remember in the very first podcast we did following the Arkansas game, you told me that he was releasing the ball and making a decision about a second, a full second quicker than Dewan Mathis. I don't know. That's actually a great question. I mean, because when you look at just his numbers, uh, when the ball is coming out, sort of middle of the pack of the SEC in terms of average time to throw. But the interesting thing about their offense is one of the things that we track is at PFF is percentage of throws that are past the sticks, past the yard to gain versus percentage of throws that are short of that. And then how much of your throwing is coming through the air, your sort of air yards versus how much of it is the, are the receivers getting after the catch. And Stetson is actually 
among the 14 primary quarterbacks in, in the league, he's last in the league in terms of percentage of throws that are short of the stick. He's first in the league in terms of average depth of target, i.e. he's throwing the ball down the field constantly. The ball, like His average depth of target, 11.4 yards. You would think that the out-quick, short passing game, some of the screens, a lot of the screen game that we saw this past weekend would be more of a focus of their offense, but it's just not at this point. Are we all sort of dissecting this in a way that it's going to be completely different come Saturday in Jacksonville? That's highly possible. But still yet, the numbers are what they are at this point. Let's jump in then to the anti-analytics because Georgia does something better than anybody else in college football on second down. Second down a lot of times is also dependent upon what you do on first down. And the biggest thing in this game is they were highly efficient on a first down. It was seven yards of play on first down. Like I talked about a little bit earlier, Stetson was four of six for 100 yards on first down, the two big plays to Cook and Washington throwing. But also in the running game, a lot of first down success to the point where they averaged seven yards of play on first down. One of the things that it doesn't do, it doesn't put you in second and long. When you are in second and long, and by second and long, I say second and seven plus, typically running the football on second and seven plus is the least efficient play, least successful play in all of football. Like if you look right now at the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons are one of the highest terms of, in terms of percentage of run on second and long. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. It's not a good thing. And I'll say this as a Falcons fan, that's a huge surprise. Georgia obviously wanted to run the ball in this game, so that script kind of flipped for them. And what's interesting, coming into the game, last, so last year, if we look at last year, last year they were one of the highest teams in the FBS in terms of percentage run on second and seven plus. Again, least efficient play, they're running it, they're still doing it at a higher rate than almost anyone other than a service academy team or triple option type team. This year, that number's down 10%. So they're throwing on the, in those situations more so than they normally do. That's a good thing. It lends to, especially if your quarterback's being accurate, which that's the that's the bad part right now is that it hasn't been so much. But And I think what you saw this past weekend against Kentucky is second and seven, second and eight, second and ten, we're running the ball. They had nine total plays on second and seven more, six carries for 50 yards, and then the throwing was 0 for 3 in the interception uh, that he threw over, over uh, Rosemary Jack Saints head. So Typically, the analytics and the, the measurement part of that would say, look, flip that. You need to be throwing the ball in second and long. But in this game, their identity was, hey, we're going to run the ball. We're going to stick to that. How does that project forward? You're going to be in situations against Florida where you're in second and eight, second and nine. Or, you, hey, maybe you've done a play action that you didn't hit, and now you're in second and ten. That's something to watch in this game is how successful are they on second and long, and how are they doing it through the throwing game, or are they doing it through the running game? Depending upon the game situation, if they're playing with a lead, you're going to see more run. Because even if you look at last year's game against Florida, they played that entire game basically with the lead. Florida rarely 
led in that game. And really for the past two years, I think the Florida's rarely led in the game and they controlled the game. It's going to be a little different this year. You're exactly right when it comes to Florida's offense being different. And let me give you a couple numbers. This is from the broadcast. Florida's offense putting up 42.3 points per game on average 10th in the FBS. Georgia's defense allowing 19.5 points per game. That's 19th in FBS. Now that's prior to the Kentucky game, so that number will actually go down. But there are some things out there like suspensions and injuries on Georgia's sideline that'll uh, change the dynamic of this game a bit. Very much so. And and obviously the the, the very sad situation that Richard LeCount's going through, we, we, we pray that he's he's okay and doing everything well. But in addition to that, like obviously you're highly likely to have him, unlikely to have him, but you have Jordan Davis who's going to be out, Quay Walker who's probably going to, you know, he might not play, but that one's that one's an interesting one. Scenes probably day-to-day, Julian Rochester. Now the Davis and Rochester one injuries, I don't think are as big of an impact maybe as the secondary part. Obviously, this is going to be a game. Florida is a 61% pass. They're 57% pass on first and second down. They use play action a ton. They're there to throw the ball. So any sort of secondary injuries that you have, you have DJ Daniel that hasn't really played in a few weeks, it's magnified there versus on the defensive line where I think you have a lot of depth, but yet it's still not good to lose guys. And it's, it might be one of those things where the suspensions and the injuries kind of equal out. Interesting to see who plays. I do know one injury that, you know, obviously George Pickens didn't play against Kentucky. He needs to play this weekend. I'm sure that was the plan as well. But, you know, that's one of those things. He needs to be on the field. You need to have that guy who can just go get it. There's no doubt George Pickens needs to be on the field. Your best player has got to be out there. But you've not really gotten him the ball up until this point. Plus, your quarterback's got no accuracy. Just seems to be a bad situation all the way around. Well, it will always be better that he's there. No, and I get it, but, I mean, think about it. Stetson, balls batted down, incomplete passes, inconsistency there. Like Kentucky, watching the Alabama film, it is going to be, as soon as you know Stetson's throwing the ball, get your hands up, because good things are going to happen as they have up until this point. Yeah, and and that's going to be the key of the game. How well does he take care of the football? And is Georgia able to play with a lead? I think this game more so than any. You need to play this game with a lead because as you saw against Alabama, once it's not that once that's not the case and you're forcing yourself to really truly become primary through the air team, it's it's not going to end well. Enough looking back at Kentucky, let's look forward to Florida. I saw Barrett Salee from CBS Sports, who's a, a dear friend to 680 the fan and the family there, saying Florida by 10 no matter what the suspensions were. There's a couple things at play that are, are bigger than the players that, themselves. Obviously, you have two head coaches who have played each other a lot, and Kirby has defended Dan Mullen's offense a lot at Alabama when Mullen was at Mississippi State, and then obviously now UGA and Florida the last the last few years. In terms of defending Florida, you, when you see something over and over and over again, you kind of get used to it. Now, obviously, the Jimmys and Joes, the players in the game, you know, make plays and do things, but from a mental standpoint, at least it's good that you know there's a familiarity there because Florida does things that are a little different than most. Florida does things that a lot like LSU did a year ago. They're the number one team in the conference in terms of having an empty backfield, so five wide receivers in formation or five people out in receiver in formation, not necessarily receivers, but they're also the number one in the conference. 40% of their plays are in a bunch set you know, where you have a – tight end, a couple receivers really, really cluster close to the line of scrimmage or in somewhat closer closer to each other. Those are unique things that you don't necessarily see a lot, but now you've seen, but you know the familiarity with head coach, sort of defensive coordinator, and then defending that offense. The key for me with this game is two things. It's just two players. Florida's offense is driven by two players. Try, obviously, Kyle Trask is having a great season and playing very well, and if he's not pressured, he's been absolutely lights out, one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the country 
from a clean pocket. I think he has a right around 91 grade, 77% completion, 15 touchdowns, one pick. He's having more big-time throws, less turnover-worthy plays from a clean pocket. Way better season for him. If you can pressure him, obviously, it's a different story. But it's two players, the skill player parts. It's Kyle Pitts and it's Kadarius Toney, by the way, who did not really play and was not really a factor, had one touch in last year's game. And he right now is playing on a different level in terms of, I think he's right at a little over 10 yards a, a carry running the ball. He's a, right 13 and a half in reception Catching the ball, he's forced 12 to 13 missed tackles, broken quite a few ankles, just sort of that human joystick with him. One, can you ma- how well do you match up against Pitts because he's such a matchup nightmare? Can you defend him with a defensive back, Tyreek Stevenson and Mark Webb, uh, because those are the guys with the size to, to defend him, versus then also how well do you tackle against Kadarius Toney and others in space? Uh, the running back, too, Pierce, is also one of the highest in the, in the conference in terms of forcing missed tackles. So, a very basic look at this game is blocking and tackling. Who blocks and tackles the best will probably come out victorious. If you're going to fundamentals, blocking and tackling, that's got to favor Georgia. Well, that's the interesting thing is that Georgia is by far better in both of those aspects. Florida, up until this past weekend, obviously they had a few weeks off to sort of get that defensive practice and, and get, get their defense in a little more of a right direction. Did that against Missouri. Before this week, they were leading the conference in missed tackles. Their tackling grade was one of the lowest in the conference. I think it's not now the third lowest in the conference. Georgia's is the best in the conference. Even last year, if you look at last year's game, Florida missed, I think, 12 tackles last year. Georgia missed two. Tackling has always been an advantage in Georgia's favor. Blocking is also all another thing that's always been an advantage in, in, in Georgia's favor. So those basic things can come back to become big pieces in games like this. You said Kyle Trask, one of the best quarterbacks in the conference when he's not pressured, like 91%. Georgia's been getting after quarterbacks better this year than they have in the entire Kirby Smart era. Are they able to do it against Florida? Now, last year they pressured him, I think, on 19 of 37 dropbacks. But because of Florida's use of play action and some, even some of the RPO game that they do, it makes it a little more difficult to get that pressure, much like we saw uh, Mac Jones in Alabama. But Florida doesn't keep extra linemen or extra blockers in to the extent that Alabama does. So if you can win on some of those one-on-one battles, and you, know, you look at Aziz Ojolari, he's the highest-graded uh, edge defender in the league right now. He's playing on another level right now. So if you win those battles, Adam Anderson gets a lot more time this week, I think, than he has the previous few games. So you win those battles and you get pressure on Trask, it's a very big deal because he turns into, obviously turns into a different quarterback, much like every one when when they're pressured. But when you look at his under pressure grade, he's 55.7 passing grade under pressure versus a 90.9 from a clean pocket, only 57% completion under pressure. So he obviously, much like most quarterbacks, turns into a different quarterback when he's pressured. That's really good news for Georgia if you're looking for that one ray of hope that Georgia can make this happen, that's it right there. If you're a Georgia fan, that's that's what you hope for is that you're physical early, you get them out of a rhythm early, your physicality in the run game, you hit a big play or two in the passing game and you play with a lead and you make them completely one-dimensional, which I think that was an interesting part about last year's game is you saw on the very first drive in last year's game how much uh, Dan Mullen didn't want to run the ball against Georgia because it was fourth and two early that first drive two short yardage situations. They went completely away from the run. They said, all right, look, we can't run the ball against you. Now, the interesting part about it is I think Florida's going to feel a little differently this year than they did last year from the running game perspective. And that's also one big key to this game is how well does Georgia defend Florida with only six or fewer defenders in the box? Because Florida's going to spread you out, and they're a threat in the passing game. Unlike Kentucky, they weren't a threat. Florida's obviously a threat in the passing game. So there's only going to be, more often than not, four down linemen 
and two linebackers in the box. Against Alabama and against Kentucky, Georgia allowed five and a half and then 5.3 yards per carry in the running game when there were six or fewer defenders in the box. Florida right now is number two in the SEC with 6.6 yards per carry when there's six or fewer defenders in the box. So when you are taking your defenders out of the box, they're running the ball and running it well. So if you're Georgia and you defend the run initially with sort of a with a light box, now you set yourself up to hopefully some third and longs. You set yourself all your pressure game is up, is set up, and then you can go do do your thing. That's it though. You go back to blocking and tackling the fundamentals. If Georgia does that well, they're going to be fine. Is there anything else that I'm overlooking that should be really scary for Georgia fans? Kyle Pitts is really really good. That that's <laughs> now. As always, hit them in the mouth and don't let them have success early, then who knows. But if you let them have success early, let Florida play with a lead, this game could be very, very un- not interesting from, from the Georgia side. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I don't think you're going to see a game that gets out of hand early. I think it, it just won't be that. The, these, these teams know each other too well. I don't know about for you, but for me, watching a game, I always expect the worst and hope for the best, and that way I'm never disappointed, and if things go my way, heck, it's a great day. I think your heart rate's probably going to be elevated for a lot of the game, but I think it's going to be good. Well, then let me put you on the spot. Does Georgia get the win? That, see, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I have, you know, Obviously, you've, we've heard me talk about offense and how offense is king. It's your mantra, man. Offense means more, but I believe you, and I believe Coach Nick Saban, too. It does. If I would stay with that, I'd be picking Florida in the game. But the sort of the back of my mind also knows the Kirby versus Mullen element, how you're going to see, I think, a completely different Georgia squad. Now, injury suspensions, how all that sort of plans out, plant change might change anything and everything. And if, you know, if you got no pickings, no account, no, you know, it changes everything. And like, for example, if you think about Darnell Washington's big play in the game uh, this past weekend against Kentucky, Stetson making his fourth career start at quarterback, second on the road. Your tailback on that play was a true freshman. Washington himself, a true freshman. The two receivers were Burton and Rosemary Jackson, true freshman. Your other tight end was a grad transfer. So completely different from the previous year. The experience factor there favors Florida on the offensive side of the ball. Once I think once the suspensions and the injury part, sort of the dust settles on that and we figure out who's going to be playing in the game and it's not a one clear advantage one way or the other, and if that's sort of an equal playing field, I still think there's some elements to that you're going to see Georgia play unlike and see an offense, I think, unlike you've seen all season. Which should be music to Georgia fans' ears because that's what they've been waiting on for a few years now, and especially this year, expecting it with Todd Munkin and the air raid conversation, and not that anyone including me, ever expected it to be throw the ball down the field, even as much as Stetson has at this point. He's not really connected, but he's trying. I never expected Georgia or Kirby Smart to abandon the run. I look forward to seeing that offense, whatever it looks like. Here's how you subscribe to UGASports.com and ProFootballFocus.com PFF. First time this year, you can buy college grades, $30 a year. Premium at $120, UGASports.com, $99.95 a year. I'm a member there. Insider information on the team, recruiting, and all things dogs. For Brent Rollins, I am Tug Cowart. Thanks for checking out the show. The warm air, the sounds of baseball, it's got you thinking about hitting the road. And no matter where your adventures take you, Subaru of Gwinnett has a vehicle to get you there safely and in style. Like the 2024 Subaru Outback, sporting standard symmetrical all-wheel drive and up to 32 miles per gallon. Or the 2024 Subaru Forester, the SUV with a spacious and comfortable interior for everyone you want to bring along. Start your shopping online at SubaruofGwinnett.com, then come see us for a test drive on Satellite Boulevard in Duluth. 
Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.